I'd like to let it be known to the masses that it's 12.22 a.m. December 3rd, and we're still researching. <laughs> we are set to film tomorrow. Today. Today at 2 p.m. Welcome, Welcome to the first episode of the Graveyard Shift Podcast. My name is Samantha. I'm Jasmine. She's 18. I'm 18 as well. We both attend college. We're going to get dogs. (laughs) (laughs) They're fully going to come find us and we're going to hear. And it's going to be like just some random person. You need to step out the room, (laughs) ma'am. Ma'am, I'm going to need you to step out the room. Uh, why? I'm going to need you to step out the room. Just come with us. Just come with (laughs) us. Who are you? Shh. (laughs) The fuck? So I've heard your podcast. So so we were listening to your podcast. You listened to it? (laughs) Did you like it? Did you like it? What did you think about episode one? (laughs) But this, yeah, this is episode one of the Graveyard Shift podcast. uh, And we have a a just fucking wild story today. We we were up till about two in the morning last night doing notes on this guy. Um, And he's just a true, just nightmare 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 person and so today our big story our debut story drum roll drum roll please we have hh holmes dubbed america's first serial killer which i don't know if it's technically true that he is america's first serial killer but, but that's one but that's, that's what he's just been called a lot and he i don't even like i don't want to give him any credit I don't want to give him anything. I want to give him nothing. He deserves nothing in this life. <laughs> Not even money. I think he's just known as he's just known as the first serial killer because it was worldwide that it was not worldwide, but like Mr. Worldwide. H.H. <laughs> H. Holmes, Mr. Worldwide. What if he's a real pitbull? H.H. <laughs> H. Holmes is actually pitbull, and that's what we're here to talk to you guys about today. <laughs> so, born Herman Webster Mudgett. H.H. H. Holmes was born around, around May 16, 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire to Theodate Page Price and Levi Morton Mudgett. And the reason I say around May 16, 1861 is just because there are no concrete facts about when this guy was born. Like, we were doing research and it was like, born 1861, question mark? Um, and also, a lot of the facts are jumbled in order of like when they happen. So some things happen before other things, but what we have here is just what we have found to be the most, most sources said happened in, the, in like whatever order. Okay. Anyway, Mudgett was born into a wealthy family and had one older sibling and one younger sibling. And in that same thing, they, like people have said that he had like three siblings or oh, he, yeah, had, he had like, like five, four, it, it was around that range of like three to five. Yeah. Like it was like. There's either three kids or there's, like, five kids we in this family. We just know he was the middle child, which which you're going to This understand. guy is absolutely a middle child. <laughs> Despite being born in affluence, his childhood wasn't all smooth sailing. His father was an alcoholic and was physically abusive, and his mother was a devout Methodist and would preach Bible scripture. But she was also emotionally abusive. As a child, uh, Mudgett and his siblings would be locked in a room without being fed. And his father would also soak a rag in kerosene or chloroform and put it in their mouths. 
how did they just have access to chloroform <laughs> just so easily? It's like, I know it's like 1800s, it's like the 19th century. How do they just have such easy access to chloroform? They really do. And like just, cyanide. They never, that question just never crossed their mind. They were like, maybe we should, maybe we should make this illegal because it seems like it's being used in a bad way <laughs> mm, that seems like a lot of work let's not do that let's just let it have access to everyone everyone no, can have access soda. everyone access everyone can have access to water fresh air cyanide chloroform clothes chloroform <laughs> Mudget would often run away into the woods to get away from his parents as a child, Mudget was not the type to make eye contact or speak very much. He was a mama's boy and read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe and Jules Verne. Super into the Ravens, super into, I think, 20,000 Leagues Below the Under the Sea. I think that's a Jules Verne. He would have listened to Pierce the Veil as a kid. Homeboy would have been super into My Chemical Romance. H.H. <laughs> H. Holmes, homeboy. <laughs> I'll go. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Anyway, at the doctor's office as a boy, Mudgett was made to look into a skeleton's eyes, in quotation marks, because it's a skeleton. They don't have eyes. They ain't got eyes. (laughs) I mean, they might. These ones might have. Honestly, yeah. How fucking scary would it be? Skeletons full eyes. Skeleton with eyes. It's like watching Quartz Bride. They all have eyes for some odd It's like looking at Timothy Chalamet. (laughs) He was made to look into a skeleton's eyes, developing his fear of doctors and skeletons at a young age. When his bullies in school found out about his fears, they would take him to the windows of doctor's offices and make him look into the skeleton's eyes, even going so far as to, like, put the skeleton's arms on Mudget, like a little bony hug. (laughs) Holmes would later go on to say from his prison cell that what the boys did to him was a wicked and dangerous thing to do to a child of tender years and health, but it proved a heroic method of treatment. Destined ultimately to cure me of my fears and to inculate me, first a strong feeling of curiosity, and later a desire to learn, which resulted years afterwards in my adopting medicine as a profession. Exposure therapy, baby! (laughs) Soon after this sort of exposure therapy to both doctors and skeletons, Mudgett became fascinated with death. He would trap animals, starting with small animals and eventually getting to bigger animals like dogs, and would perform dissections and practice surgeries on them. Later on in his childhood, Mudgett and his friend Tom went to an abandoned building alone to play. There, Tom died from a fall. Rumors started that Mudgett was the reason Tom died, but those rumors have never been confirmed or denied. It could have been him, yeah. I believe it was him because it, it obviously going to start young. If you're because there's, there's the serial killer trifecta. <laughs> like the serial killer triangle. And I'm pretty sure what it is I might be wrong on one of them. I know it's killing animals, arson, yeah, and wetting the bed. And I'm pretty sure wetting the bed as a kid. I used. To I think like as bed. like as a more grown up kid, like when you've grown out of that. But like I said, I might be wrong. The last time I, you know what, I might be a serial killer in the making. <laughs> Girl, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> Mudgett was not very knowledgeable about personal space and would often stand too close to a person or touch them for a longer time than necessary. In 1877, Mudgett graduated from high school and went to teach in Alton, New Hampshire. At this point in his life, Mudgett was a dapper man and was charming and kind with women, and the women were drawn to him. I don't want to compliment this man. And I, 
I put dapper in quotation marks because I just simply don't want to want to compliment him. Yeah. He doesn't deserve a compliment. Of course not. Um, here's a little PSA for my section. I cannot fucking read. Um, I mean, I couldn't obviously read, but I don't read well. So, um, he became a medical student, and I'm doing this podcast with a nursing major right now. But she's a criminal justice major. I'm a criminal justice major. <laughs> Jasmine is a pre-nursing major. Um, so we're on opposite ends of this H.H. <laughs> Holmes story spectrum here. It was at this job that Mudgett met a woman named Clara Loverling. Clara's father was a representative of the district in New Hampshire's legislator. Mudgett's insistence on sex was bothersome to Clara, but nonetheless, she found herself greatly attracted to him. I, All the pictures I've seen of this man, he wears a bowler hat. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I don't get is like, if he was so insistent on sex and she didn't like it, why would she still be attracted to him? Because like... If that happens in today's time, obviously females or anybody grows unattracted to them. Yeah, but also it is a different time. This was like the yeah. eighteen. This is like eighteen seventies. You can just get cyanide from the corner store. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different time, but he's not hot. Is the funny thing. This man is ugly and bad. Right? In their times, it and- was very attractive. I don't know why. <laughs> the couple eloped on July 4th, 1878, after just over a year of courtship. In 1880, Clara gave birth to their son, Robert Loverling Mudgett, in London. At this point, Mudgett was growing tired of teaching and began to began working as a clerk in Concord, New Hampshire. He lived in Concord for a year while Clara and their son lived in Gilmington with his parents. Can I just say, let, let's get this man out of a school. <laughs> let's get him out of a school this man should not be teaching he should not be in a school let's get him the fuck fresh fuck up out of there i just don't get how he was able to leave so many times he was just like i have to go (laughs) babe you stay here with my mom i will be back i will be back give me like a cool 30 i'll be back and then i'm gonna leave again but i'll be like right back Uh, Mudgett eventually decided that he wanted to be a doctor and enrolled at the University of Vermont's medical program in Burlington. He found that he didn't particularly enjoy the curriculum at the University of Vermont had and that he was tired of being a family man. If I was tired of being a daughter or even a girlfriend and I can just dip. Why was it so easy to just leave? In the 1800s, everyone's just like, oh, yeah, no, um, let's restart. <laughs> Herman left. Herman left for a while. He'll be back, maybe. Let's hope so. He goes, I'm just gonna restart. I'm not feeling it. I'll be back in a, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Maja left his family and transferred to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, which had a program surrounding dissection. Fucking little weird ass creep ass bitch. Weirdo. <laughs> this little fucking creep, dude. <laughs> At the University of Michigan is where his life of crime truly began. At school, Mudgett was a mediocre student who was quiet and didn't really socialize with his classmates. Honestly, me neither, though. Yeah, but he's a murderer. Yeah, but he's creepy, <laughs> and I'm mysterious, <laughs> and I'm quiet. <laughs> he's creepy. And quiet, I'm mysterious and quiet, and people want to know what I'm listening to, and they want to know what I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) 
What he did do, however, was steal cadavers from the school. Mudger would take out life insurance policies on them and he would disfigure them, burn them, etc. and plant them in various places to look like they had been an accidental death. After that, Mudget would collect the money from their insurance policies. This guy. <laughs> that is such a roundabout way to get money, man. It's just... I want to know how much work this guy put into doing this just to, like, get some money. Honestly, His it... little get-rich-quick scheme was theft, but not even, like, a cool theft. He's... Imagine... How did he get out of the building? <laughs> I don't know. They just seen him walking with the body and they're like, yeah, they go, oh yeah, must be a TA. <laughs> yeah, he must work here. You've been in the body fridge for about 25 minutes picking out the perfect body. I don't understand. That's normal. <laughs> it's funny because he worked with insurances. That's the, that's the shit. Why did they have so many insurance policies back then? Everyone in the 1800s was itching to get their hands on an insurance <laughs> policy. They were sweating for that shit. <laughs> A Canadian classmate would often run the scam with Mudget. Mudget had the classmate's wife and kids take out a life insurance policy. Then with his charm, he would convince them to leave the country. How the fuck are you able to convince anyone to leave the country? Hey baby, you're gonna leave the country. <laughs> and then it's like a little ding as he winks. <laughs> and it's like, like a little shine shows up on his teeth. It's fucking dumbass. Just like a ding. <laughs> He would then find cadavers that looked like them and stage an accidental death to collect the money. He and the classmate would split the profits. During his college years, Mudget would also try to break into his professor's home twice. Why? Why two times? If it didn't work the first time, it's not going to work the second. That's not true. Okay, it, it isn't. But, but but what was your goal behind that? Like, what were you looking for, cadavers? <laughs> The professor um, actually is the one that holds on to all the cadavers for the school in his house. Um, in 1884, Mudget was also prevented from graduating due to claims made by a widowed hairdresser. The woman said that Mudget made a false promise of marriage to her, which at the time was a very serious crime and would have led to his expulsion if Mudget was found guilty. My voice cracked. I love how <laughs> making a false promise of marriage is a super serious crime. That I would know. That would lead to him being academically punished. After graduation, Mudget returned to the professor and told him that the widow was not lying and that he had promised to marry her, even going as far as to consummate the marriage. During the summer of his junior year at the University of Michigan, Mudgett began working for a book publisher as a traveling salesman in northwestern Illinois, keeping the proceeds. During this time, he fell in love with Chicago! 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 Are we going to get so. copyright striked? <laughs> Fuck. In 1885, Mudgett moved to Chicago and took on the now infamous name, drumroll please, Dr. Henry H. Holmes. So Holmes. this is the f- Holmes. <laughs> the homie. If you will. <laughs> the homie, if you will. Or if you won't. Um, otherwise known as H.H. H. Holmes. Now this is like the first time this guy has changed his name. Yeah. What was his thing with changing his name? He didn't, like, I was gonna say he didn't commit any crimes, but he did. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was just saying, like, at this point, he hasn't committed any crimes, but he fully has. But it's not like the whole world knows him like that. Holmes got a job at a drugstore in the Inglewood neighborhood of Chicago on the southwest corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street. The pharmacy was located near Jackson Park, which would eight years later be where the 1893 World's Fair would be held. Like, I know, like, what it's kind of about, but, like, I can't picture in my head, like, a six-month-long fair. Six months? I thought it was, like, three days. <laughs> it was, like, from May to something. Like, it was multiple months. That's, oh, May to October. Yeah. What What was up with that? I don't know. What's going on? What, why does it need to be for three months? I'm gonna get on a Ferris wheel every single day. <laughs> I'm gonna get on a Ferris wheel every single day for the next five months. And you're not gonna do anything about it. <laughs> what are you gonna do about it? While Holmes was working there, the owner of the drugstore passed away, leaving the drugstore and its responsibilities to the owner's wife, Elizabeth S. Holton. However, Holmes convinced Elizabeth to sell him the store and agreed to let her live above the store, but after she realized that Holmes wasn't intending on paying, she disappeared. This is like a common theme with his shit, is that he just convinces people to do things. And that, if they like, don't do it, or even if they do do it. Even if it, they do it, they just disappear. <laughs> but the thing is, I, because I don't think she was that old. No, because they had just had a... She was pregnant when he showed up, but that yeah. doesn't mean that she's not old. I mean, I don't know how it was back then. I mean, he was not old either. No, he was like in his... He was like 26. Yeah. Holmes claimed that she left for California, but some believe that she was killed by Holmes, while others believe that she simply moved on with her life. So there's like two sides of the same coin there. Yeah. While being the owner of the store, Holmes ran scams like selling mineral... Fuck. Mineral... While being the owner of the store, Holmes ran scams like selling mineral water elixir that was simply just rebottled tap water. <laughs> I mean, what is wrong with this man? I, like, he fills me with so much rage because he just got away with shit. What if I did that? He's such like, a little loser. It's fucking water. <laughs> it's just tap water. Anyway, he would also steal money from his employees, which is more up his alley in my opinion. Yeah. At this point, Holmes was 26 years old, charming and wealthy, but we don't compliment him here. I'm saying this because it's important to the discussion that he was charming and that he was also wealthy. I personally don't think he's charming. He is still wealthy, though. <laughs> he met Myrta Belknap in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He bought her parents a house in order to gain their blessing for their for their marriage, even though he was still married to Clara Loverling. Yeah. What? This um, <laughs> this is this isn't if, even the first. This guy is the Chad of eighteen seventy <laughs> of the eighteen seventies. In fact, Holmes sent Loverling divorce papers, but they never went through, so he was still legally married to Clara at the time of his and Myrta's marriage. What is up with this guy? I'm just I don't get why. I think his claim for... Um, this guy could be on Sister Wives. <laughs> the claim, I guess, for why it didn't get approved was because he stated that she cheated on him. Or that was a that was a claim that he put But in. he just straight up abandoned his family. He did. He lied about it. He's a liar. <laughs> I want to know who his body count is. 80. <laughs> In 1889, Myrta gave birth to Holmes's second child, a daughter named Lucy Theodate Holmes. Which is funny because Holmes isn't even his real last name, but that's just this kid's last name. Well, I was going to say all her descendants, but, like, she would have taken her husband's name. Yeah. So I was going to say all her descendants have, like, the name Holmes, but which is, like, a fake name. No. If, like, if she kept her last name. But even the great... 
the great grandson was Mudget because it was the Robert's. First. Oh, it yeah. It was Robert's great. It was yeah, Robert's so grandson. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Across the street from the drugstore, Holmes bought a vacant lot at 601 to 603 West 63rd Street. There's a lot of sixes. Wait, there's three sixes. 601, 603, and West 63rd Street. 666, this man is the devil. Bitch. (laughs) And began construction on a three-story hotel in which he would live and move the old pharmacy into the first floor after it was completed. During construction, Holmes hired and fired many building companies so that only he would know the true layout and secrets of the hotel. And when they asked him to pay them, he would refuse, insisting that they did bad work. So, like, what he would do was he would, like, hire someone to, like, come build, like, a wall for him or, like, a staircase. And then he'd be like, all right, beat it. And then they would be like, hey, but pay me. And he'd be like, no, do you see the quality of this wall? Yeah, sure, it's standing up and it is exactly what I asked for. (laughs) But you kept listening to EDM while you were building it, so get out. (laughs) I would would fire a building company if they were playing EDM while building my house and I had to be there. How would you have to be there if they're building your house? Well, like, if they're doing construction on my house and they're just, like, they got, like, a a big old speaker (laughs) and they're just playing EDM, I would would fire them. (laughs) Holmes also bought a large asbestos-lined bank vault to build the hotel around and just never paid for it. That's the part that trips me out, is the fact that they build everything before even getting paid Like, they don't- he doesn't do a down payment or anything. (laughs) He doesn't, like, pay up front and then is like, okay, then I'll pay you the rest afterwards. He's like, do this for me. But the thing is, this man has so much money at this point. He does. He has so much money, he can afford- he can afford to pay these people. He just refused to. He just didn't want to, because he's a- he's got his gubby little hands Mm -hmm. on his money and he doesn't want to let it go. This man is the Mr. Krabs (laughs) of murder. Fucking Krabby Patty formula is hidden in that asbestos-lined bank vault, and the Krabby Patty formula is how he gets flesh off of bones. The people of the area called the hotel the castle. Let's... There's always a thing, like, when people name something before, like, something bad goes down, or, like, before they, like, figure something, figure out what it is, whoever's working with it, their egos go up. So this guy's like, yeah, I'm building a castle. Once the building was done with construction, Holmes would take out ads in the papers to advertise lodging at the hotel, as well as offering jobs to young women. Many of the ads depicted him as a wealthy man looking for a wife as well, but he's still (laughs) married to two women! (laughs) He just was greedy for money and women. He's still married to two women. Holmes required all of his employees, guests, and wives... Wait. Holmes required all his... Employees, guests, wives, and fiancés to take out a life insurance policy. He offered to pay the premiums as long as they would list him as a beneficiary. Most of these people would disappear, though. Why did they agree? (laughs) They knew him for, like, a week. Why did they say yes? (laughs) I just don't think they knew, like, the real meaning of how life insurance worked. Yeah, they thought it was going to go to them. They probably thought it was going to go to, like, their families or something, and he was, like, going to be a good guy. But if I showed up my first day of work and they're like, okay, so what I'm going to need you to do is take out a life insurance policy, I'm like, okay, here's my two weeks, and my two weeks actually it says I end today, goodbye, and I'm gone. (laughs) I'm on the other side of the parking lot, like, faster than you can, like, even read the first sentence of my resignation letter. (laughs) With your fucking tote bag. With my tote bag swinging around, it's like slapping me in the back. (laughs) I, like, tripped in the parking lot. It's like, I'm gone. (laughs) To furnish the hotel, Holmes bought furniture on credit. When creditors came around, he would hide the furniture. 
When a company came in to collect from him, they were met with an empty hotel. What was the goal? Where did he hide it? Because I'm assuming they didn't just like walk into like the, the lobby. I'm like, unless just all they did was walk into the lobby. I think so. They probably just walked into the lobby. He probably distracted them with his charm. He's, he's like hypnotizing him. He's got a little pocket watch. He's swinging back and forth. He's like, look at the time. <laughs> In 1893, Chicago was honored as the host of the World's Fair to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Columbus's discovery of America. This big event was scheduled from May to October and was held in Jackson Park, Chicago, near the castle. Holmes saw the business opportunity that the World's Fair presented to him as many visitors would be searching for lodging near the fair. He dubbed the hotel the World's fair hotel he knew that many people would be looking for lodging and he believed that he could seduce women into staying in the hotel once again what a lame name for a hotel (laughs) he just named it after the carnival (laughs) people began noticing that once someone walked into the hotel they never walked out they also the thing is they reported it to the police but there was no physical proof of it happening but the police just disregarded it. That's well, the, I w- honestly, I would disregard it too if they're like, yeah, they walked in, but they never left. I'd be yeah. like, you probably just didn't see them leave. Like, if weirdo. it was like one person, yeah, but if it had been multiple claims, then that's when you would like feel like, why is it all circling on the long side? But like, honestly, it could have just been, like, I'm not trying to like give him credit, but <laughs> this isn't a bad idea because oftentimes you're not staring at the entrance of a hotel waiting for that's people to walk true. out. So you can go to the police and be like, yeah, I saw this woman walk in the hotel. She ain't walked out yet. It's like, maybe she's just staying in there. Yeah. Maybe she's asleep. Maybe you didn't see her leave. There's so many things to, like, to, like, negate your claim, dude. That's true. (laughs) There were also times in Holmes' life that he ran side businesses that were simply scams, like selling a cure for alcoholism, (coughs) running a coffee machine business, and a glass bending studio. Jack of all trades, master of none. Am it's I right? It's funny because in the glass bending um, studio, they said that there was no actual glass bending. It was just a fucking studio. So he would like bring people into the glass bending studio, but they didn't do anything. I I guess so. Oh God. Moving on to how the hotel was kind of built and its secrets in it. The secrets of the hotel. The secrets of the hotel. The secrets of the hotel. <laughs> The first floor of the hotel primarily contained stores, including the pharmacy that he worked at, a jewelry jewelry store, and a barbershop. The upper floors contained around 100 rooms. The hallways and rooms were a maze, outfitted with faux elevators, false walls, peepholes, trapdoors, stairways that led to nowhere, and chutes to the basement. This man was playing IRL shoots and ladders. <laughs> the thing is, they said 100 rooms, but then I also read an article. There was like 35. Yeah, there was only like 35. Like, so there's somewhere between like 30 and 100 rooms in yeah. this place. Because it was built so weird that it just became a maze. So they didn't really like... It, like I assume it would also just be hard to count how many rooms would yeah, be in this place. Yeah, especially if there's so much going on. Many of the rooms were soundproofed and locked from the outside. Lots of the rooms also had a gas line running through them and would asphyxiate whoever was in the room with just the flip of the switch. On top of that, there were spaces into which a person could look into an airtight room through a people. The basement of the building was where Holmes did the most gruesome work. The chutes in the upper floors 
that led to the basement were greased and large enough to fit bodies in. This is where he would just, after killing them, throw them down the chute. Or even before killing them, just throw them down the chute, and then that's when he would do the fucking... A little slip and slide, if you will. Oh, God. (laughs) Due to the way the hotel was built, Holmes never killed anyone directly, relying instead on the death of asphyxiation or simply lock them in a room for them to die of hunger or dehydration. I wouldn't be mad. Once the bodies arrived in the basement, Holmes had a stretching rack, a dissecting table that was set up in such a way that Holmes could exsanguinate the bodies, and a crematory to get rid of the remains. The basement also housed acid vats and lime pits to dissolve organic material with little evidence left. Many of the bodies were dissected, stripped of their flesh, and made into skeletal models. Holmes would take the skeletal models he made and sell them to various medical professionals, which he had connections to through medical school and his job as a pharmacist. Sometimes, as long as the face was like disfigured enough, Holmes could sell fully intact corpses for a profit. And that got me thinking, what do you mean the f- if the face is disfigured enough? Because they won't know who it is. They won't know who it is, but like, imagine getting like a cadaver... And it's just like the, fa- the skin is off the face or something. That's so scary to think about. But don't they like? I don't fucking. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to fucking talk about it. In 1890, during the construction of the hotel, Ned Connor, his wife Julia, and his daughter Pearl moved into the hotel and opened a jewelers in the hotel. Holmes offered Ned the building across the street to purchase from Holmes. Uh, where the pharmacy used to be and that Holmes still owned. Ned agreed to buy it, but from that was transferred the debt that Holmes had from initially buying the building. Ned was, like, rightfully angry (laughs) at the debt and also at the fact that Holmes was sleeping with his wife, Julia. Ned divorced Julia, sold the building back to Holmes, and moved away. Soon after this, in 1891, Julia and Pearl just disappeared. (laughs) Yeah. They vanished. Although Holmes denied having killed Julia, he also confessed to accidentally killing her during an abortion. It's still not known what exactly happened to Julia and Pearl. An employee of Holmes's, Emmeline Sigrand, was a talented secretary. Holmes' intentions upon hiring her were to have an affair with her. Everyone knew they were sleeping together, despite them trying to keep the affair secret. (laughs) That's just the funniest shit to me, because it's like, oh, it's a secret affair, it's illicit, it's... It's scandalous, but everyone's like, bro, we know what's going on. <laughs> like, we know you guys fuck. Everyone else's room is soundproofed, sir, yours is not. <laughs> After Emmeline said to another woman that she was planning on leaving Chicago, Emmeline disappeared. Like, not like left from Chicago disappeared, just like, vanished. Yeah. Holmes met a woman named Minnie Williams while he was doing business in Boston. At the time, he introduced himself as Howard Gordon. That is name number three. Gordon Ramsay. Uh, Howard Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> he put on a British accent and called people an idiot sandwich. <laughs> what are you? An idiot sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Minnie was an orphan who was extremely gullible. She was seduced by Holmes and he convinced her to give him control of her bank information and real estate holdings. Girl... She was down bad. Homegirl was down bad. (laughs) There is no record of a marriage, but it is said that Minnie and Holmes were wed. While he's still married to 
Clara, his first wife, and Myrta, his second wife. Yeah. So and this has is his third two wife. kids. <laughs> and now he's marrying another bitch. <laughs> Nanny, Minnie's sister, came to visit the couple, and after going home, Nanny went missing. Shortly after signing over land to Holmes, Minnie also went missing. He used them and killed them. So, we're going to be talking about Benjamin Pitzel now. Um, he's one of his associates that plays a huge role, in a way. Yeah, but the f- best part about this is every time I read Benjamin Pitzel's last name, I read it as Pretzel, because <laughs> it's spelled P-I-T-E-Z-E-L, which is almost Pretzel, and so I keep thinking it's Benjamin Pretzel, which is honestly a funnier name. I would enjoy it more. I would enjoy it a lot more if his last name was Pretzel. Throughout the murders happening at the hotel, Holmes was still committing insurance fraud with his accomplice, Benjamin Pitzel. Benjamin Pitzel arrived in Chicago with his family in the fall of 1889. After working for 10 years around the Midwest, Pitzel responded to a job advertisement posted by Holmes and joined his team as a carpenter. Pitzel had been arrested for a few small crimes in his past as well. In 1893, Holmes was arrested for insurance fraud after a fire broke out in his home but was later released. However, he still received a generous payout from his insurance. The thing is, he was arrested and then released, which is like such a common theme with serial killers. They're like, okay, um, yeah, you did some weird shit, but I'm just gonna let you go. You're fine. Like, it, it's cool. Fuck you know, off now. Just Goodbye. Don't, just don't do it again. <laughs> I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> Imagine if a cop said that to you. After the World's Fair in 1893, the common economy was not doing well so Holmes abandoned the hotel and traveled around the u.s and canada continuing continuing the scams he was known for leaving things midway of finishing them <laughs> this man has reverse abandonment issues <laughs> like he, he's not scared of being abandoned people are scared of being abandoned by him <laughs> he just likes to leave things behind Holmes and pitzel came up with a scheme in order to defraud an insurance company the plan was for Pitzel to take out a $10,000 life insurance plan, about $294,244 today. And then fake Inflation, his death. Inflation, honey! <laughs> and then fake his death so that way they could collect the money. Faking the death? How did he convince him to do this? Because they're best buddies. Because they're besties. <laughs> I would do anything for my bestie. I would not fake my death for you. Actually, I would fake my death for me. I would not fake it for you. Obviously. But I would still fake my death. I just want to know what it's like. I, w- I would attend my own funeral under a disguise. Where they were just... Where they're standing at a tree, like, six feet away. No, I want to be, like, sitting at the back of, like, the church. If it's, like, in, like, a big building. Sitting yeah. at the back of the church with, like, a hat on with, like, the lace over it. <laughs> just, like, watching everyone at my own funeral. Because I faked my death. Usually, it's, like, it's a raining-ass funeral. And then you're standing, like, like with an umbrella, with an umbrella And you're smoking a cigarette. Right? Just, <laughs> but I've got, like, a long cigarette holder. Like, like Cruella DeVille style. It's just, like, super long. Um, I want to know who shows up to my funeral. <laughs> Holmes and Pitzel then traveled to Colorado, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, New York, and Texas. Along the way, Holmes married Georgiana Yoke on January 1st, 1894, <laughs> while still being married to both Clara and Myrta, and said to be Minnie. Homeboy! <laughs> this is A playa. It's... <laughs> okay. Homeboys play in the field. Homeboys play in the field. <laughs> Holmes returned to Missouri at some point and was arrested for insurance fraud. 
He was put in jail briefly in St. Louis on July 1st, 1894. I did write 1984 <laughs> on our paper For stealing horses from Texas and selling them in St. Louis, which he made a lot of money off of. Stealing horses. And I love to think in my head that he just showed up in like a big old like 10 gallon hat. <laughs> Like rodeo, like rodeo boy, and like a pair of like cowboy boots and some chaps, and it was like pretending to like be from Texas, and like leaning up against his horse post, waiting for no one to look, and then like bolt cutters, bink, <laughs> and just like let all the horses out, and like corralled them into like this big truck. <laughs> How did he ship them? I don't know. He rode, he rode every single horse individually to St. Louis. There's no way. And then walked. Back. I'm just so confused on how everything happened, and no one noticed a single I'm thing. Surprised, like no, everyone was like. I wonder where my horses went. <laughs> I used to ride horses, and my horse's name was Girlfriend, and I don't think she's still alive. <laughs> that did not have to be added. But it is. And it has been. Holmes was jailed under an- another alias. Holmes' cellmate was a man by the name of Marion Hedgepeth, a career criminal. Holmes told Hedgepeth about the scheme he and Pitzel were running, and Hedgepeth offered to help. As a backup, Holmes made a plan to take out a $10,000 life insurance policy along with $500 to pay Hedgepeth in exchange for a lawyer if things went south. However, the insurance company was suspicious of Holmes and refused to pay him. Good! (laughs) Pizza returned to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where the two men had opened a fake patent office in order to swindle inventors. The men had planned to meet here in order to stage Pitzel's death. Bum, bum, bum! Once Holmes was released, he headed to Philadelphia to complete the scheme, but rather than stage Pitzel's death, Holmes waited until Pitzel was drunk and went to kill him. One night while they were waiting for Holmes to get a body, Holmes and Pitzel were drinking, and Pitzel drank so much he just passed out. Once he was out, Holmes lethally dosed him with chloroform and then lit Pitzel's body on fire, afterwards smashing the chloroform bottle on the ground to simulate an accidental explosion. What? That's fucking crazy. How did he just get chloroform? Again. <laughs> I've said it once and I'll say it again. How did he just get his hands on chloroform? I truly don't know. What is chloroform even used for on the daily? Knocking people out. Why was it made? For knocking people out. I wonder <laughs> if they just like use that instead of anesthesia. Probably. That'd be funny, honestly. Yeah. I want you to count backwards from ten, and then you're gonna go into a nice sleep, and we're gonna do major surgery on him. <laughs> and then they just chloroform him. <laughs> After killing Pitzel, Holmes talked to Pitzel's wife, Carrie, and Pitzel's children, who were aware of the insurance scheme, and convinced her that he was still alive and had successfully faked his death. That Pitzel was still alive, not Holmes, because Holmes is talking directly to him, (laughs) to her. Holmes sent Alice, Pitzel's 15-year-old daughter, to the coroner to identify her father's singed corpse by his teeth, still under the impression that her father was alive. She acti- She actually identified his actual body, but she didn't recognize him because he was so burnt that she was just like, this must not be my dad. And yeah. was like, 
yeah, those look like my dad's teeth. Like, that was the plan, was that she was going to say yes to, like, whoever, and be like, yeah, those look like my dad's teeth. Yeah, well, she was under the impression that her father was still alive, so she figured, like, oh, this could just yeah, be Yeah, she thought it was just a cadaver that he yeah. had gotten. But, yeah, this 15-year-old definitely knows what her father's teeth look like. Oh, it depends. <laughs> I know what my dad's teeth look like. <laughs> it's like when you smile, you just see the shape of their teeth. It's like, you can tell. I would never in my life be able to identify any of my family members by their teeth. That's just... Like, my little sister, she has little bumps right here. Mine is straight. I have bumps on my teeth. Yeah. But I would just never... I would never be able to tell. I could just tell. Okay, well... (laughs) I work in a dental office. (laughs) Well, there there you go. I don't. (laughs) When the insurance money was paid, Holmes told Carrie that Pitzel owed him... $5,000 and she agreed to let him keep half the insurance money. Holmes also told Carrie that her husband was hiding out in Cincinnati and to meet him there and that she should send out two more children to ride with Holmes. Carrie sent out 11-year-old Nellie and 8-year-old Howard to travel with Holmes and then was to follow them out to Cincinnati. Rather than meeting in Cincinnati, Holmes and his wife Georgiana took Alice, Nellie, and Howard to Canada, passing through Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Detroit, Augsburg, New York, and Toronto. Every time Holmes and Carrie met up, Holmes would say that they had just missed Pitzel and that he had moved on to a new city. So, like, it was like playing hopscotch. Yeah. Alice sent her mother a letter that Carrie never received, saying, Howard is not with us, Holmes has already killed him and disposed of the body, and we're next. Howard was eight years old, and he killed the child first. He was the youngest one, yes. Damn. If I I ever met this man in real life, I'm going to strangle him to death. Yeah. Well. Alice and Nellie were last seen at a rental house in Toronto where Holmes killed them and buried their bodies in the basement. When Carrie arrived in Vermont, Holmes met with her and tried to convince her to send her other two children, but she refused. I would, too. Yeah. That's a regular thing to do, is refuse to send a man your children. What? I think part of her knew because um, Ben obviously would tell her the type of shit. Yeah, yeah. And didn't so, there was like a thing where she like almost stepped on an explosive. Yeah, that's... Um, when was they that were in st- Toronto? Yeah, that's when they were all staying in that house. And then yeah. he like tried to kill her, so he left a letter stating, go to the basement. After yeah. she refused to give out the kids. Yeah. Go to the basement, and then when she went, she slipped, or she almost slipped, and then... Landed on an explosive. Yeah, could have landed on an explosive. And that's when she knew, like, oh, he's trying to kill me. Oh, he's after my ass. <laughs> I'm next. I'm next. Holmes began to miss his wife, Clara, the first wife, and went back to New Hampshire to reunite with her, his parents, and his now 15-year-old son, Robert. He told them that he had been in an accident eight years ago and lost his memory this man (laughs) the audacity of this man to just come back and be like yeah sorry babe um my brain got all wonky the fact is they fell for it they were like correct yeah you i agree with you i agree this must be what happened because you wouldn't just abandon me right because you don't abandon things right that's not who you are right you don't abandon things good (laughs) He also told them that the hospital gave him the name H.H. Holmes. But the thing is, was he was, like, infamous. But, like, if it was already that big of a story that his name was important to, like... Like, 
in New Hampshire if his name was important there. If H.H. Holmes was important in New Hampshire, then it was a big enough story. But I don't know if just him going to jail that one time was a big enough story to make it all the way to New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Man steals horses, <laughs> now in jail. Breaking news for the whole country. I don't know what the news was like back then, though, also. I think it was just a newspaper, no? Yeah, but, like, why did he have to say his name was H.H. Holmes? Is my thing. Like, why was that part of the story relevant? Because if... I guess if people came knocking and they're like, where's H.H. Holmes? And she's like, who? Yeah. And he's sitting in the back with his little bowler cap on and his little little mustache. And he's like, who? (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go. (laughs) Gotta go, sorry, babe. Speaking of gotta go, sorry, babe. Shortly after reuniting with his family, he left them a note saying he was going to Boston and that he would be back. No, he would not. After not receiving the money promised to him, Marion Hedgepeth alerted police to home schemes. As he fucking should. Good. If I got cut out of a deal, I'd be like, you know who did it? <laughs> he did. In November of 1894, the police caught up with Holmes in Boston where he was arrested on an astounding warrant for the Texas horse swindle. At the time of his arrest, Holmes appeared to be preparing to flee the country. Texas horse swindle is the funniest phrase I've ever heard in my life. How do you get arrested on a horse? <laughs> he didn't get arrested on a horse. I he got arrested about- because of a horse. But my thing is just the phrase Texas horse swindle. I'm going to get that as a tramp stamp. No. (laughs) Soon after Holmes' arrest, the police began to investigate his business back in Chicago, finding all the horrors horrors (laughs) that had taken place there. They found a tank of gasoline for stripping flesh from the bone, a bench covered in blood and scratches, a toolbox with rope used for hanging people from fake elevator shafts, as well as bones preserved in quicklime. A mess. Just an absolute disaster. (laughs) You couldn't have at least cleaned up before you abandoned this place. <laughs> they also I don't want to know how foul it smelled. Oh, for sure. Especially if it's been sitting there in Chicago. And what does Chicago <laughs> have to do with anything? What do you mean, if, especially if it's been sitting there in Chicago? Weather changes, my guy. It's still a decomposing corpse. <laughs> no matter if the weather changes or not, it's still a decomposing corpse. <laughs> it still smells. It still smells rancid in that place. But, like, it was around, what, November time? Was it cold in November in Chicago? I don't know. I've never been to Chicago. They also pieced together the body of a child between the ages of 8 through 10 and speculated that it was Pearl Julia Ned Connor's daughter. Investigations led to a finding of fabric and a watch chain belonging to Minnie Williams. Dun, dun, dun! Many of the bodies found at the hotel were so disfigured that the investigators couldn't definitively say how many bodies were there. The investigation spread throughout Chicago, Indianapolis, and eventually Toronto, where the bodies of two of the Pitzel children were buried, Alice and Nellie. Howard's body was found in a shallow grave in Indianapolis, along with several bottles of cyanide and wolfsbane. How did he get cyanide?! Where did he get it? He just... Where can you buy cyanide? (laughs) I don't even know. Dear Lord, this man. The main detective put on the case was Frank P. Geyer. Geyer was born in July of 1853 in Philadelphia and eventually became a renowned 
detective eventually being put on the Holmes Pitzel case. Holmes personally confessed to 27 murders, later increasing the total of 130 murders. However, researchers speculate that there were around 200 murders. Too many to count. They truly could not tell how many people this fucker killed, and they're like, 200 sounds about right. But that also sounds about right, because if he's just harvesting bodies... Yeah, that's true. What I would have done is I would have looked at all of the... All of the sales he made. Because there's got to be, like, records of the sales. True. Probably. Of all the sales he made of, like, skeletons to people. I don't know if there's records, actually. Were there records? There mm. sure was cyanide. Mm-mm. It was in the 1800s. 1800s, we got, we got no records, but all cyanide. <laughs> Despite the confession, only 9 of 27 murders were being able, or were able to be confirmed. He also confessed to the cover-up of Julia Connor's death, saying she died in a botched abortion and killed Pearl because she was a witness. While in prison, Holmes described his own appearances as gruesome as taking a satanical cast. And Geyer said that Holmes was morally insane and later called Holmes a psychopath. He's right. Yes. Absolutely correct. This man is morally insane and a psychopath. Yeah. But what is the thing with, like, once people get into prison, they're like, I'm Satan, I'm the devil. Because I am the devil incarnate. I think it's just because it could be stuck. guilt. Yeah, but it's like, no, you just want to be, you just want to be interesting, sir. Mm. Yeah, I am Satan, <laughs> ruler of the dark realms. No, you're a loser who likes money. <laughs> Holmes claimed a lot while he was incarcerated, saying that he didn't murder anyone, that the bones found in the basement were cadavers he buried, that Pitzel killed himself and made it look like an accident, and that all kids were alive and well. Holmes would go on to change his story many times, though, including calling victims by the wrong name. In all, he is just a big liar. He's just a big dumbass. Yeah. Big-ass dum-dum. I feel like Ariel Ariel serial killer. Oh my god. Every serial killer has at least tried to claim they killed more than what they did. There was a guy who just, like, started, like, like... Saying like, oh, I did this, 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 I did this. And they're like, no, you didn't. There's no way you could have been in nine places at once. Yeah, that's true. Because I I know they said like, I I saw it like on a 10 bunny thing. Where he claimed that he killed more people, but in reality he didn't. It's like, dude. If he didn't kill them. You're not cooler for (laughs) killing more people. In fact, you're worse. (laughs) When Holmes was questioned about the bodies of Alice and Nellie Pitzel found in a trunk in the basement of the Toronto rental house, he said he put them in the trunk and ran a gas line into it. Which means he cut a hole into the trunk, put a gas line, filled it with gas. My question is, what did he do with the clothes? Because he did, like, they said that they were found naked. Probably burned. Probably. Or chucked them out a window somewhere. Yeah. They just probably didn't find them. Well, why would he take away their clothes? Because he's weird and oh, he's it's, awful. Oh, it's a <laughs> While waiting for trial, Holmes wrote an autobiography, which he sold to the Hearst Corporation for $10,000. Even while in jail, this man is making shmoney, <laughs> and I hate him for it. Why? What is the por- What are you going to use with 10 What are you going to do with $10,000 in jail? You can't bail yourself out. <laughs> you can't I don't he I don't even think he's allowed to bail himself out probably. He probably wasn't. Cuz he, was he murdered someone. Yeah. The New York World newspaper published a column on Holmes and paid him $7,500 for a confession. Again, he's still making money in prison. Yeah. What? what? <laughs> he's just greedy. 
Also, while in prison, Holmes kept a chicken as a pet. <laughs> Why did he even have a pet? Like, where did he get a chicken? <laughs> where did he Where did he get cyanide? Where did he get wolfsbane? Where did he get chloroform? Where did he get a chicken in prison? I just... <laughs> he has Amazon Prime. <laughs> yes, but like. Because how did he get hold of a chicken in prison, and why keep a chicken as a pet in prison? I don't know. This is an orange. Imagine how black. loud as hell it was in that cell too. <laughs> I uh well uh, after his lawyers quit, Holmes decided to represent himself, <laughs> but he was surprisingly good at it. That's the part that gets me because I'm like, this is like a Ted Bundy story all over again. <laughs> Ted Bundy also represented himself. <laughs> Ted Bundy and H.H. H. Holmes are just homies. Despite being surprisingly good at representing himself, his lawyers eventually came back to help him. I'm sorry. Bro. You're actually really good at this shit. Can you teach me? <laughs> <laughs> they were watching him just like taking notes. They're like, okay, got it. I believe him. <laughs> I believe him. This is believable. Carrie's testimony against Holmes was so moving that it brought everyone to tears. Yes. Which, good. He killed three of her children. He was also married to Georgiana at this time, remember? But the thing about Georgiana, she had testified against him because he. she found out that he was, like, still married to someone else. Yeah. And she testified, and then he was brought to tears. <laughs> He's just sobbing like, hey, babe, no. Just sobbing. I didn't, it didn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> Convicted in 1895, Holmes tried to appeal his case with a plea of insanity, but ultimately lost. The insanity plea makes me so mad when people like this try to, like, get it. Yeah. Just go to jail. Morally, yes, you're insane, but you know what you did. The evening before Holmes' death, uh, he was sentenced to death by hanging. Yeah. But the evening before Holmes' death, he just spent time writing letters. I don't know who he was writing letters to. There's no one. <laughs> Dear diary. <laughs> the evening before Holmes' death, he spent time writing letters. The next morning, May 7th, 1896, at 6 a.m., Holmes ate a breakfast of dry toast, eggs, and coffee. And he was accompanied by two priests from the Church of Annunciation. Then at 10 a.m., the two priests walked with him to the scaffold to be hung. A crowd had gathered at this point and were waiting in intense silence. Just... And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) The priest said a prayer and afterwards Holmes stepped forward to claim his innocence. Till this day. (laughs) This man is not innocent. And they have proof. (laughs) To claim his innocence yet was met with absolute silence. And we're back. (laughs) Holmes shook hands with the priest and said goodbye to his lawyers. His hands were then bound and a black gag... What? His hands... His hands were then bound, and a black bag was put over his head. The sheriff placed the noose around Holmes's neck, and then he was hung. Holmes lost consciousness immediately. (laughs) But he was not immediately killed. Instead, he was strangled to death while his heart beat feebly for 15 to 20 minutes, as he should. He was tap dancing. Let Let him suffer. When he was finally dead, he was cut down. 
But then after his death, this is what, like, he had some weird shit he wanted done with his body. Holmes had very specific instructions for what he wanted done with his body after he died. He wanted to be put in a pine box, like the wood, pine wood, and then for the box to be put, for his body to be put in there, and then for the box to be filled with cement. <laughs> what does the cement have to do with anything? And then he wanted to be the box to be buried 10 feet underground and then like covered up a little bit and then another pine box full of cement, empty, no body in it, <laughs> to be put on top of that. And then he wanted the ground to be filled with cement. So he wanted to just be like laid to rest in a cement brick. And I wouldn't even think of entertaining this notion. Never in a fucking million years would I be like, yes, I'm going to do this for this guy. I think they just go by what they wish because it's their last wish. I don't care if it's your last wish. I'm not <laughs> burying you in cement. I. This is what I told you earlier about the whole zombies thing. Everyone thought zombies were real, so of course they did that. But since he stole cadavers and stole bodies, I... I, I wonder if it's like because of that. Like yeah. He just didn't want people to steal his body. Yeah, so he and like... use him it. in an insurance scheme. <laughs> Also, I love the thing, like, from, like, old-timey, like, when they would bury people, and it was just, like, a string that went all the way down, and there was a bell attached to it, so if you weren't actually dead, you could just, like, ring the oh, bell, and they'd yeah. be like, oh, shit, and then the come time, get your ass. At the time, they were burying people who were still alive. Yeah, and you hear ding, ding, ding from, like, the graveyard, and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, but what happened to the hotel, one may ask? I hated that. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it in, but I hated it. The murder castle, as it was dubbed, is actually no longer standing. They burned to the ground. An inspiring entrepreneur bought the hotel after Holmes' death, looking to make it into a macabre tourist attraction. According to Chicagoists, on August 19, 1896, at 12.13 a.m., a railroad night watchman spotted flames coming through the castle's roof. Seconds later, explosions blew out the first four windows and the fire was out of control by the time help arrived 90 minutes after the fire was reported the roof had collapsed and most of the building demolished the source of the fire was not determined but it is possible it was arson to prevent the hotel from becoming a tourist attraction good yeah stop idolizing serial killers stop it <laughs> please stop romanticizing them you can have like oh this belonged to this guy and that's fine and like put it in a museum somewhere but don't be like we're gonna make this hotel into a cool tourist attraction it's gonna bring in so much money <laughs> don't use tourists for money if it's weird <laughs> now in englewood neighborhood the only building that on the land where the murder castle was is the englewood post office i wonder so if it's haunted <laughs> It, honestly, it's gotta be. It has to be. There it's has, gotta there, be haunted, like, man. Holmes was exhumed in March of 2017 per the request of his great-grandson, Jeff Mudgett, to <laughs> test his DNA against Holmes. This was basically to prove the fact that Like, he was Holmes, his descendant. Or, like, that. Uh, it was also that Holmes was the one who yeah, died. Yeah, that... Because there was, like, a theory that, like, he paid the sheriff yeah. to hang someone else, and he's like a he was actually, like, alive and just fucking around somewhere yeah like he just used his wealth and paid the like police the police, officers yeah. and then hanged a random man so that way he can go out and he can do what he does which is fraud yes 
Archaeologists at the University of Pennsylvania dug up Holmes' grave, first finding an empty pine box, then a few feet deeper they found his real pine box with the body encased in cement. Why did they say yes? <laughs> I don't know. Why? Due to his unique burial request, Holmes' body did not properly decompose. His brain was still intact inside his skull and his clothes were perfectly preserved. His mustache was also intact on his skull. How fucking funny would it be to, <laughs> to like, exhume a body and it's just a skeleton with a brain inside the head and a mustache <laughs> wearing clothes? Holmes' teeth were used to identify him, confirming that it was indeed Holmes and that Jeff Mudgett was indeed Holmes' grandson. And there's also, like, a conspiracy theory that um, Jack the Ripper is also H.H. H. Holmes. Or, like, there's, like, a theory that, like, somehow oh, yeah, Jack that- the Ripper is also H.H. H. Holmes. And I didn't really get into that because I personally don't believe that that is what happened. I think Jack the Ripper was just some other guy. Yeah. Because it was happening in, like, 1888, which is, like, when Jack the Ripper was, like, hanging out. And I think Holmes was, like, doing shit in 1888. I don't remember if he was doing anything, but I I remember he did take a gap because he wanted to be a family man with, um... With Clara, no, not with, with Mirta. With Mirta. Oh, okay. He had took like a, a, a few years. He took a gap year. He didn't want to go straight to college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, that's where the whole conspiracy comes in where he paid the officers and got away and somehow became Jack the Ripper. And then... I just don't think it lines up, personally. It doesn't line up. So that's because, why they did because the Because Holmes was all about like not actually like fully like straight up killing someone like he would chloroform them lethally or he would gas them or he would make them die of starvation mm-hmm. but he was never like because jack the ripper like took women's organs yes like that was kind of like his thing he would straight up like slaughter women like firsthand but jack the ripper was more of like a second hand what but <laughs> holmes what <laughs> no jack the ripper is a first hand killer holmes was more of like a second hand killer so I don't think that those line up because the escalation is just a lot. Plus, there was no real gain he was getting from... There was no gain he would get from killing the women in London. Like, like the gain he would get from killing the women in Chicago. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't line up to me. Yeah, so we do believe Jack the Ripper is a whole different guy. I think Jack the Ripper is a whole different man. Another shitbag, but just a different guy altogether. Yes. There's our fun little tale for you guys this this week. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know. Please we- enjoy it. <laughs> Please. Um, I'm begging you. Follow our Instagram. Yeah, follow our Instagram. It'll be in the description of this episode. It's at the Graveyard Cast Pod. No, it's no. at the Graveyard. What did I just say? <laughs> it is at the Graveyard Shift Pod thirteen. It will be in the description of this episode. Eventually, we do want to start filming these, but we're not sure when that's going to happen. Yes. Um, um, so you can see is... all of the nightmarish things that we're doing. Yes. <laughs> we fully stood up and walked around like multiple times in the filming of this. <laughs> It's taken us an hour and a half to film this episode. <laughs> we started at like 2.30. We started at 2.30 and it's now 4.06. <laughs> yeah, but um, once again, we hope you enjoyed. Please. We'll see you next week. We will see you next week with a whole nother shit bag. <laughs>